I want to pray over us because our whole theme today is Jesus will conquer your insufficiency. And even if today's a hard day, we can trust him to take care of it. And I don't say that tritely. I don't say that just real quick in passing. I know you guys. I know that for some today, it's a hard day. And I know for some, it's a great day. But, but um, he's greater and all of that. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we do uh, just want to say thank you that we have moms in this church that, that are raising their kids well and, and raising them to follow after you. And even though some days it's a, it's a history how they, don't, um, how they don't quit or don't give up, or, 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 but Lord, you in, encourage in this and you are good. And so we thank you, thankful that we have them, Lord, that moms and the roles they played in our lives, how they teach us about your love and your care and your grace and your kindness, God, and your toughness. And, and we just thank you that we have them and we have that joy. And so we praise you for that. And also, God, we do want to lift up toes in this church. It's a it's a it's a day God where we hurt where we're sad perhaps we have loss that we feel and Lord we know that you are our our comforter you care for us God you love us deeply and we cast those pains on you God we thank you Lord that you're Grace is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's hop in to Hebrews. Um, Hebrews today will be in chapter 9. We'll be starting at verse 15, Hebrews 9, 15. Uh, but, we, but before we do, um, one challenging part with Hebrews, I, I picked the word challenging carefully because we're talking about scripture. One tough thing with Hebrews is that it's repetitive. And so we'll read a text and you'll be like, I could have sworn he preached on this like two weeks ago. And kind of I did, to be completely honest. And so Hebrews is just this repetition of these things. But one thing we have to think about with Hebrews is these Hebrew, and and by the way, Hebrews was written to Hebrews people. And these Hebrew people used to be in this faith that required a lot of rules and regulations and sacrifices. And so they've left that faith. They've entered into Christianity, which we know is the relationship with Jesus Christ. And what's so tempting, this is so true of all of us, what's hard about new things is that the old thing keeps drawing us back because it's known and it's, it's comfortable. And this is same is true with these Hebrew people. They're being pulled back by the rituals and the religion and, and this repetition of their faith rather than explore this new adventure with Jesus. And so they're one choice away from going back to what they used to do, which we know leads to death, whereas Jesus leads them to life. And so what 
this author is doing again and again and again is just pleading with them. Like, don't give up on Jesus. He did this for you. He did this for you. He did this for you. Don't go back to what you knew because it leads to death, but stay with Jesus because it leads into life. And so today, and and I, I thought of this illustration. If you've ever purchased a house, put your hand up, ever bought a house. Okay. So you know, this isn't so true anymore. If I had realtors after first service come up to me and correct me, but, um, if you've ever bought a house, maybe like five years ago, um, you'll, one thing that gets you is the amount of paperwork. And two that gets you is the quality of the paperwork is so terrible. It's literally like been photocopied since 1953. And, and the copy machines are so bad, you can't even read out the words and you're supposed to put your name. And at, at some point, you know, it's a copy, it's a copy, it's a copy. And then at some point, the person putting in the copy, it got, like, it got crooked and then got copied. And, and they still like, ah, it's fine. And they copied it. Little did they know, like 20 years later, this happens at elementary schools too. Um, it's like a word search, but the words are on the wrong lines and stuff. Like it just happens. And I'm a little OCD with stuff like this. It drives me crazy. You're like, at what point are you like, <laughs> good enough? <laughs> like get the original. And make a new copy. Well, the, the reality is they can't find the original, blah, blah, blah. But um, I thought, like, like as, a, as a church, this is such an interesting thing because we hear this gospel. And we hear this gospel. And we hear this gospel. And before too long, maybe it gets a little crooked or it gets a little fuzzy or the words start to blur together. And it's really good for us to go back to the original, to the beginning. One thing I love about today... Mother's Day, is there are those in this room that your mother called you this week and said, I don't want a gift. I just want you to come to church with me, baby. And you're here out of that compulsion. I don't, I, last year I asked people to raise their hands. I won't do that this year. No, I didn't really ask for a raising of hands. But um, husbands too, like it may be, hey, I just want us to go to church as a family. And you're trying to be good about, but, but in, in a way, I envy your perspective because you get to hear this kind of as if it's fresh, whereas a lot of us church folk who are here all the time, we've got to be really careful to get back to the original and not hear the copy of the copy of the copy. And so today I want to start with, and the intro is a little long, and you're going to be a little worried. You're like, wow, if his intro is this long, how long is the rest of the message going to be? And it's going to be really long, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> I'll try to keep it short. I think we'll be all right. I know you've got lunch plans. If you didn't make reservations, just give up now. Um, I bet you could hit the Asian buffet today. That'd be, that'd be good. Miss Angie sees me on our birthdays. That's where we go to the buffet because um, you get a free one on your birthday. So what I want to talk about, though, is, is within each of us is we have this this pull, this compulsion to have faith. And the reason why I tell you this is I meet people of all walks of life. And one of my favorite with Asheville, living in Asheville, is you get to meet the most diverse people. Maybe not how they look, yet our faith system can be very different, very interesting. Maybe they don't want to name what that deity is, but most people have room in their lives for some type of faith, some type of I 
think there's something greater out there. Um, in fact, to be a true atheist, it takes a lot of effort, to be completely honest, because within us is this, this kind of non-describable, undescribable compulsion to, to long for something. I was reading in Genesis 2. If you don't know, Genesis 2 is like after the creation, man and woman are there walking in the garden with God himself. And I don't know if you've ever read that or even thought about that, but, but like when, when I say those words and think of that thought, man and woman are walking with God in the garden, there's something about that phrase and that mental picture I get that just rings true. It just rings to me as a place I want to be. And I can like feel <clears throat> the peace and um, the, just the comfort that they felt. Like, like how amazing would it be to be in God's presence there in a garden in the cool, it says the cool of it, of this day. Like, like, like how peaceful is that? And there's something about that that rings true. Like, there's something about that that... Now, you may change up the scene. Maybe you don't like bugs, and so you're not in a garden, or you don't like this, and you're on the beach, or, you know, you may change the scenery, but there's something about being with someone you care about deeply and with God that just feels right. Well, I was talking... to Cam, our worship and arts pastor, the other day, and, and we were talking about those times in our lives that felt like that must have felt like. And one of them I want to tell you about is Montana. And I've, if you've ever heard me preach before, I've probably talked about this. But Montana, I went out west. Uh, I met this guy randomly who was a executive in California, and as a hobby, he, he bought a ranch in Montana, a 2,000-acre working ranch of cattle. That's a weird hobby. But he did this, and so he invited a bunch of young guys that were working in the church as pastors to go out to this ranch. And so there's this place where it's a 2,000-acre ranch. If you don't know what 2,000 acres is, it's a lot. And you can walk it for a long time before you go off the property. And so I'm out for a walk one day and literally just wanted to go for a walk just to think. And so through this, like, it's a cow pasture and it's springtime. It's about this time of the year and the flowers in the fields are starting to bloom. It's yellow all about as the sun hits this grass and the flowers, it's just it looks as if it's on fire, but just glowing. So it's just beautiful. And as I snuck through the cow pasture to not wake the bull up, you walk through the cow pasture and jump the fence. And there is this, like, it's a cliff, and there's a tree on this cliff, and it's, it's, it's cool under this tree, and you can look out. And if you've ever been to Montana or haven't been to Montana, it's just sky. And it's almost sky enough to see the curve of the earth, but not quite. That's how much sky you get to see. And if you've never, uh, if you haven't been to Montana, you can get there soon. On, on West Asheville, there on, on like interstate, as you drive through West Asheville, as it curves on that sharp curve right there, 
before 26, if you look out right there, there's a farmhouse down here. That looks like Montana. And it's just this beautiful sky. And I'm so high, I look down to see it's eagle there's wind and it's a, it's flying below me on this cliff this eagle and, and it's in that that time where that garden feeling came to me where I'm there in his presence and the longing that I I, I it feels right in that time and so I got to go to that same ranch four different times. And the second time I go, I'm like, I want to see if it can happen again. So I went back through that, you know, cow pasture, didn't wake the bull again, jumped the fence and sat there under that tree and just prayed. And sure enough, it was just, there was something about that place. And isn't it interesting, maybe in my whole life that's happened like six times. With Cam, it's probably been about the same. And with you, probably not a ton of times. But we can so vividly recall those times. And I tell you that because I think within us is that longing to be with God. That desire. And even, again, those people that I feel that, that have never stepped in church a day in their life still feel that compulsion or that pull. Because that's what we're talking about today. Um, if you don't recall, last week that we were talking about back in like what they had then to worship was a temple, that or a tabernacle. And in this tabernacle or this temple is this holy of holies place. And what's interesting about the holy of holies place is it didn't look like Montana or your place where you met God, but that was where one man once a year got to go in and enjoy his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like something like I want to experience that presence. How like unfair that just one guy one time a year gets to go into that. And the joy and the beauty about the text we're talking about today is that this, this promise is that we all will get to do that on a regular basis. So let's get into the text. Hebrews 9, and I'll be at 15. It says, therefore. Now, what's the first rule of understanding the scripture when it says that word, therefore? We're supposed to ask what question? What's it there for? Some of you are groaning. But it is a great question. What is it there for? It's talking about that priest, that one guy who's going into the Holy of Holies. And he's saying like, like, hey, hey, here's what's coming. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. If you write in your Bible, I encourage you to underline a few words. Therefore, he is the mediator. If you're taking notes, write down mediator. So my kid 
has chores every day and they can't do their electronics times until they do their chores. And so on Friday, he comes to me and says, hey, how about I don't do my chore today? Tomorrow, I'll do my chore because they don't have a chore on the weekend. And so he comes to me and goes, I do, I'll do my chore tomorrow if I can have my electronics time today. So I said, all right, but tomorrow you have to do two chores and your electronics time is in half tomorrow if you do this. He goes, okay, that's a deal. Saturday comes along. He comes to me and goes, hey, Dad, can I get on electronics? I said, what about our deal that we made? And he had forgotten about it, oddly enough. <laughs> and so I remind him of the deal. And, 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 and so he wanted then to negotiate a new deal that he didn't have to do two chores, but one chore, and his electronics time got to go back to where it used to be. He tried to negotiate, mediate for himself a new covenant. And I reminded, we shook on the old covenant, so we weren't having new covenants today. That half happened I didn't make them shake on it. But the point is there in this Old Testament, there was a covenant. And Jesus came and negotiated a new covenant. And like all those Levitical laws and practices and things like that, it says Jesus, he came and negotiated this new one. Um, And then we go on in the text in 15. He goes, for those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And I've already talked about this, but that place that you've visualized, that place that you were at peace with God, that your problems weren't gone, but were in proper perspective there at the cross of Jesus Christ, that is the peace of the eternal inheritance. Inheritance that's talked about here in this text. That being in the presence of God. So then he goes on, and and this is kind of weird because it's a metaphor to explain to us. He goes, for a will, where a will is involved, a death must first take place. For a will only it takes effect at death, since it's not in force as long as those who make the will are alive. Metaphor here. I want to tell you guys, the other day I was at McDonald's. Don't judge me, I was getting ice cream for my children because I'm a good, good father. And the guys in front of me, they look like working guys, they look like they worked construction and it worked hard and mealtime, dinner time and they're there in line they order their food they go to pay and the card says insufficient funds now if you've ever been there it's awful if you haven't been there just take my word for it Um, especially when you like no you're like no there's like money in that account and if you're behind that person in line it might be worse because it's super awkward right um, and they're like pleading their case as if they're negotiating with the bank, but really it's the McDonald's cashier. Like it's, it's, it's a weird place to be. And so this is happening and I just want my ice cream and to get out with the, without a confrontation. And so the guys, you know, they're being insistent, but they're being kind to this cashier. Like, I promise you there's money in the account. Like, and so she's trying this card and the guy's like, could you try it again? And they're trying it again and they leave. They finally leave and walk out. So I order my ice cream. And you know, at that point, I'm like, I should buy their food for them. 
But then I'm like, but then I wouldn't have a sermon illustration for the next time I preached, and it wouldn't be. Um, so I ordered my ice cream. That didn't happen. Um, I ordered my, my ice cream, and I pay with cash. And then this other person who works at McDonald's comes up, and the lady says, hey, they wouldn't take, it wouldn't take their card. And the lady says, yeah, because it's broken. Our machine's broken. And, and so... The guys are out in the parking lot still, like, fighting with each other about who spent what money out of the account as to why they couldn't have um, their food. So I, I said to them, I'm like, you guys might want to go try again. Um, but, but if you've never had that insufficient funds thing, it's terrible. When I got my first checkbook, I actually wrote about this in the weekly update. Isn't it crazy that you can write a check for any amount that you want? Isn't that wild? One of my favorite jokes, a comedian tells it, he, uh, he taught his car is about to get repossessed and the guy who's about to tow the car, he comes up to the door and goes, hey, if you can pay me today, I won't tow away your car. And the guy's like, I don't have any money at all. And, um, you know, and he, he's, he's worried about it. the tow truck driver's doing the best that he can. And, and he's like, are you sure you can't pay me today? And then finally the tow truck driver goes, well, you could write me a check the guy's eyes light up like, yes, I can. And so, <laughs> because we all know a, a check, a debit card is just a piece of paper or plastic without the promise behind it. And, and that's what's happening here is the promise of this internal peace with God and inheritance from God is just an empty promise without the payment behind it. And what we're learning here in this text is Jesus is the payee of that promise. And so I wanted to ask you real quick, because I just like to do things quickly, but what areas of your life are you feeling insufficient? Because remember, our title today is Jesus is greater than your insufficiency, which is a Jesus is greater than your insufficiency. What areas of your life are you feeling insufficient today? The first one will just be the one we've been talking about, your finances. That, this is a reality for some people, these illustrations are telling you. These jokes have not been funny. There are those, those that are feeling insufficient with your parenting. You're literally at a loss of what to do, what to do with your children, how to parent them. There are those in your workplace just feeling insufficient and in not only the calling, but that you might be stuck in, in this insufficient job for a long time. There are those who have been praying for a relationship and you've been trying to do the right thing and be patient, trust God, but it's continuing to come back insufficient. Because I want to say today that Jesus is greater than your insufficiency, that he is the payee of this eternal promise of, of being in his presence and being in peace. But we get to look today also to see that why this happens. So let's go on to verse 18. But, but I really want you to identify what, where do you feel insufficient? Because if, if we want to pray to him and ask him to fulfill, to be sufficient for us, we should identify. We should actually take the time to identify where are we feeling insufficient. So let's go to 18. Therefore, and this is kind of a tongue twister. What it's telling us is 
Even in the Old Testament, something had to die for there to be the forgiveness of sin. So it says, therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without... For where every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. I'm going to explain all this in a, in a second. Just hold on. This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled it with the blood on the tent and all the vessels used in worship. And then, indeed, everything under the law is purified with blood, or almost everything in the law is purified with blood. And if you're underlining your Bible, underline this part. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So this is, a, this is an Old Testament theme, and I'll, I'm going to recap it for you. I'm gonna, we're going to cover a lot of history in a really quick amount of time. Way back in the very beginning of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 3, I told you about chapter 2, where they're together and at peace with God in the garden. In 3, they sin. So then they realize they don't have any clothes on and they're embarrassed and ashamed. So God himself had to come down with a, he killed an animal to clothe them. And it says right there, they're without blood, without death, there is no forgiveness of sins. Then we go on Exodus 12. There, the whole group has been in captivity. The Israelites have been in captivity. The 10th plague is about to happen. They're about to be freed. But before they do, each family has a lamb that they kill. They paint the lamb. They drip its blood into a bowl and paint its blood there on the doorway. They were moving the next day, so that's good news. But they were painting blood on the doorway without... Some people are like, oh, yeah, I, I, I get that. <laughs> Without blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. Then we go on into the Levitical law. And what it's talking about with all this, they took calves and goats and blood with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and all that stuff. There's this one in, in uh, Leviticus 16 where two goats are picked. One goat is symbolic. The priest, he, he gives the sins of the people to this one goat. It's symbolic, of course. And that goat is sent free into the wilderness, probably to be eaten by lions or something. But the second goat is then killed, and blood is dripped and caught and then sprinkled into the entrance of the tabernacle where the presence of God is. And this takes place repeatedly in the Old Testament, the whole point is, is there was never a time where the sins of the people are forgiven in the temple or the tabernacle without blood and death. And so this, this whole idea here, it says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We know that is Jesus Christ. And we know just as that first priest would have to go into this, this you know, temple and do all these rituals, that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise and that pay for us. So let's go on to verse 23. Um, and he goes, therefore, the, and I love these words, it says, and the copies of 
heavenly things. It was necessary for the copies of these heavenly things to be purified with these rites. Yet with the... Uh, let's go on to 23. For Christ has entered it not into the holy places made with people's hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on your behalf. And again, this is one of those times where it's like a copy of a copy of a copy. And we've heard this so many times. It's tempting just to like scoot past it. Christ himself entered into the presence of God on your behalf. And then he goes on. He goes, it wasn't to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year. Because then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But it says this, and he goes, he has appeared once and for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the whole idea here is Jesus has died for you to secure you the eternal inheritance and peace and presence of God as promised in the Holy of Holies. Jesus is greater than, than your insufficiencies. And that's just not like trite language or um, empty promises. The scriptures tell us repeatedly, Jesus is greater than your insufficiency. That thing that you're wrestling with, that even feeling like you're worthy of, of his death on the cross, Jesus is greater than all of that. That place where you swipe your card and, and it's coming up insufficient funds, at least in your thinking, that's not true. Just like at that McDonald's where they had plenty of money in their account. Like, that was so sad. Like, he's pulling out his phone and, you know, he's got, like, his app up where his account is there. There was plenty of money in his account. It was just the machine was lying to him. And that's the same thing. Like, Jesus is greater than your insufficiencies. It's just all the lies that are being told to you. But Jesus is greater than that. I want to I confront lies with truth of Scripture. So... If you're writing notes, you can write these down. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, He himself took our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For our sake, he, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. First Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once because of sin, the righteous for those that were not righteous, that he might bring us to God. So let's repeat that one. For Christ suffered also once for sins, the righteous because of the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then John 10.10, uh, 10, and I love this one, and this will launch us into our final thought of the day. It says, the thief just comes to steal and kill and destroy, yet he came, Jesus came, that they might have life and have it abundantly. So we talk about this eternal promise and inheritance. But I know what you're asking, but what about now? Like, what about today? What about that insufficiency I'm feeling right now? 
And the promise of Jesus is not only for eternity, but for today. The last verse we'll cover today is there in the chapter. It says, um, he, he, so Christ will appear a second time not to deal with sin, because that's already been dealt with, guys. Sin has been dealt with on the cross. We've covered that so many times in Hebrews, it's not even funny. He won't come a second time to deal with sin, but check this out. But to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Because right now you're asking, now what do I do with all of this? Like, I've got to leave here after lunch. Mom goes home. I'll finally have some peace and quiet. I didn't mean that. I'm just kidding. Um, what do we do with that? So I told you about Montana, yet, yet this one other place is when we take our, our trips, our missions uh, trips. We fly to Haiti. If you've ever been to Haiti, you're wondering where I'm going with this. There in Haiti, it's on a sea. It's a Caribbean sea. And we stay right on this beach. And it's this beautiful beach. And like, you don't often get to sleep next to the beach. So I wake up there, I walk down to the beach, I read, I sit on the chair, I look out over the sea and pray. And like in Montana, I also have that, 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 of just feeling the peace and presence of God. My problems aren't gone, they're just in proper perspective. And the beautiful thing, when I'm there with my team, is I'll look down the beach, and one other guy on our team is down in his chair, also enjoying the presence of God. And, and then I look at my clock, and I'm like, it's time to leave the beach and eat together as a team. And that feels like heaven as well, honestly. The food is good. The company is great, and we're there to do work. Like, that, that feels incredible. But in half an hour's time, we're all on a hot school bus, and it's blazing hot. You're sweating like crazy. You get to the site to work, and it's hotter there, and it's in the direct sun, and it's, it feels the opposite of what I just experienced, to be completely honest. But then you encounter wonderful Haitian people who have faith like you do in Jesus Christ, who live so close to that beach, that paradise place, but have never been there. And, and so it, it kind of got me thinking when I was thinking through like these, these places and how we long for these places in our lives that they haven't ever probably experienced that in my context. But one day, the internal promise we all have is the same. And so I just wanted to address that because some of us are in these places of labor and of toil and longing. And God feels far. But I wanted to tell you guys, the promise remains the same for you as it does for anyone. And sometimes we feel really close to God and sometimes we feel really far to God and you just have to trust that we're always that same distance away, which is right there with him. And so, you know, you, you, you just to 
put this out. I wanted to put, like, what's our takeaway that we rest in the promises of God? But that word rest, I'm, I'm kind of tired of it, if I'm honest. Because it's, it's tricky. Because resting is actually hard work. Like, like, to rest in the promises of God is a lot of effort. Because when you wake up, the first thing you probably think of is all the stuff you've got to get done today. Or when you go to bed, maybe you think of what you didn't do or what you did wrong. Like resting is hard work. Like, like the hardest thing to do is sit down and think of what naturally comes up to you. It's far easier to stay busy and active and run away from our thoughts. So I'm not going to use the word rest. I'm going to use the word trust. And this isn't passive, it's active. This is a battle we have with our thoughts and with our thinking. This is confronting the lies in our lives with the truth of Scripture, that his grace is sufficient for us, that Jesus is greater than our insufficiencies. Because if you think I've like inspired you today and you'll go home and, and all your insufficiencies, are, are, that's just not reality. But if you think that through Scriptures you can confront you're, these feelings where, that, are, that are telling you you're insufficient, that's more of what we're talking about here. We have the promise. We have the hope in Jesus Christ. We, we have his word and his Holy Spirit within us to do this. Now we go out and do the hard work of wrestling with these truths of Scripture, of confronting the lies in our lives with Scripture. And so that's how I want to pray for us today as we close, that God will empower us to confront the lies we're being told that we're not sufficient. We can stand on the hope and the promise that Jesus is greater than our insufficiencies because of his death. Because without his death, there was no forgiveness of sins. But from his death, we can stand in victory for that. So let's pray.